so that's you know you have the the external part of what you see is going on and then you have the internal part what's going on with a with the martial art with a book with anything with anything that's an art i think this is glenn murphy with nc sistema and this is sistema for life patrick welcome to the podcast how you doing uh good good glad to be here glenn yeah, it's nice to have you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to think back to, I think we've had a couple of failed attempts at, um, at bringing you on the show. One of them was a successive a series of podcasts when I was recording at um, Stacy's Place, I believe. We were at Stacy Lewis's place. when Stacy's Place, Randall yeah. He, had a, a bunch of uh, North Carolina instructors and, and uh, long-term trainees together. And unfortunately, we attempted that podcast after a couple of drinks and uh when we listened back to it we weren't nearly as intelligent as we believed ourselves to be at the time so no, it, was, it was fun though it was fun it was a lot of fun but we had to sc- we had to scrap that one and not publish it so um so today we come to you completely sober i mean you're on some drugs right you just had a moderna shot so that's that's some drugs but yeah some drugs it's not yeah. good drugs but not good drugs not no. fun drugs <laughs> yeah, definitely so um so before we kick off um can you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and what you do for a living we'll go into a little bit into your like martial arts background things later but what do you do of a day ah well that's uh you know well really what do you need done no um i uh, <laughs> uh i'm i'm a writer I've dirty deeds a... done dirt cheap plus one <laughs> just give just give me a credit card don't ask too many questions i, I have a wide array of skills that i can just what's what's the problem you need solved no Sorry. um very particular no. set of skills. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm primarily, well, I started off as a writer and a creative director, uh, in advertising. Um, and that's, you know, I spend a lot of time, I mean, I have a company that basically does video production and, and, uh, you know, communication stuff for people. So we make a lot of videos, we make a lot of animated videos, funny things, helping companies sell products and get their, their message to their people. And yep. then I write novels. So, yep. um, very good ones. I should add for everybody yeah. listening. If you haven't read any of Patrick's stuff, it's available on Amazon and like Kindle downloads and all kinds of stuff. Right. Oh, well, yeah. Why? Well, thank you. Um, so, so yeah, I've just, I've never had a, I mean, I've had jobs, like obviously day jobs. But ever since I got out of college or a little bit before, I've, I've always worked in a, a creative field, which is, um, you know, which, which is different, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's, that's partly one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on here today. You, you're also a systemic practitioner, a, a systemic instructor, longtime student and teacher of the martial arts. Before Sistema, you did um, Aikijutsu, right? Daitoryu was for mm-hmm. quite a while. Yeah, yeah. And the, the um, obligatory smattering of Filipino martial arts and BJJ. I've been beat up mm-hmm. in many languages, Glenn. Many, yeah. many languages. It's important to be a well-rounded person to get punched in the face um, by a lot of different nationalities. It's, it's very important to do that, I think, definitely. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> it's the, it's the community, spiritual community of man. It is, it is, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. or woman or, or whatever in between. Oh, no. We'll go for that one. So, um, whatever pronoun you'd like to use, I'm not exactly. Yeah. We're not judgmental. Okay. So, so what I'm interested in talking to you about a little bit, I think you're kind of pretty well placed to talk about this is the, is the kind of confluence between martial arts training, um, and, martial arts as an art, right? As something that you have to not just repeat, right? Not just derive from copying somebody else's way of doing things, um, but learn some principles from, um, make them your own, and then genuinely improvise and create, right? I think that's where a real martial art comes into its into its own. I mean, we can argue about whether or not something is a martial art if you do or don't create. But f- for me, 
a real martial art is one that you that you embody and that you express, right? And that's what makes it an art, as opposed to just like a, I don't know, a, a craft or a tech or a series of techniques or something like that. And and it seems to me that you're really well placed to talk about creative pursuits. You're a creative professional, and you're one of the more creative people I've ever met. You're, you're brilliant at taking. Um, fairly flat ideas sometimes that I can give you <laughs> very flat boring ideas and then kind of bringing them back to me in a way that makes them sound exciting and obviously you've parlayed this into a career in copywriting and 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 stuff like that but your your novels show the degree of creativity that you have you can take themes that people might think are fairly well traveled in some ways do you know what I mean like you can have like the heist novel or you can do like yeah. the the fantasy novel or something um or even the superhero novel which I was convinced was pretty much dead and knocked out of the, and done you know you can't do anything more superhero now with all the Marvel stuff but you did something quite different with all three of those right you you wrote um the merchant adventure was a, a fantasy novel not from the point of view of the hero but of a reluctant shopkeeper who, who outfits the heroes doesn't really want to yeah, be he's one the, yeah he, he's he's like the pawnbroker right so these people yeah. go off on adventures and they you know yeah. stab some poor creature and bring back the trinkets and try and pawn yeah. them off or or yeah. you know he sells the sells the gear and he just sees these ill ill-prepared people just going off you know for glory and not coming back at all right yeah and uh i loved it i thought it was great it was really really creative uh, and uh and same thing with um even the heist number was even like it, that was probably the most kind of two form of the ones you've written it kind of went along the formula of of a heist novel but it was it was really creative in the in the idea that it was the protagonist was you know an old school bank robber living in a modern age and it had a few twists and turns in there that you didn't expect as it went through well, and i it, really enjoyed that one even though it was the most kind of serious of your books i really enjoyed it and i know found it a, a, a creative departure from that genre as well yeah the, the theme in there is if, if you're if you're solely a professional right and you're, you're, hmm. you're only only embodied in your work and you're not a you're not a person at what point where you know you start to get older hmm. And your your skills start to wane. What point do, do you give it up, or do you change, or or can yeah. you? you know that that was sort of the internal okay. story that was driving the whole thing there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but, and then of course your your most probably successful one today is the How to Succeed in Evil series, mm -hmm. which you've written um, sequels and prequels for now, which are quite brilliant. Um, and and that rests on the idea of there being a superhero universe. But you're interested from the point of view of an evil efficiency consultant who helps the bad guys to realize their plans as much as possible <laughs> in, in, in kind of a way there. So that, again, that's taken kind of a, a unique angle on that whole idea. Not, people have told the, the, the villain story before and people have told the good guy story and like Joker and movies like that have kind of come to that now. Um, but but yours was kind of adjacent to that. I thought that was really interesting. The, the enabler, you know, the, the truly evil enabler, the one that kind of helps <laughs> well, it all happen. Now. Well, that and it's also uh, the theme there that I didn't think would resonate with everybody, but it does. Is you 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 someone asks you for advice and you give them your best advice and then they go and ignore it, and it's just incredibly frustrating. And everybody <laughs> has that experience on some level. Yeah. You yeah, know, so um, he spends most of the book with his hand like this, you know, and, with the bad guys running to, through walls. You know, yeah, trying to trying to um, trying to profit from the situation of people not lift, listening or being too egomaniacal. So yeah, sure. it's, I mean, it's it's, it's funny. Um, yeah, uh, it is funny. The, very, all the reviews funny. tell yeah. me it's funny. I just don't. I don't think that on my own. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to make yourself laugh sometimes. I've tried tickling myself from um, time to time. It just doesn't. But, you expect it. That's the problem. But I think yeah. I, I, I think. Uh, the interesting thing about when you talk about creativity and martial arts, right, is that hmm. you have to create the technique, the art, whatever you're trying to do, you have to create it within yourself. Mm -hmm. 
And, it's a good and place to stop. Yep. It's not merely problem solving, but you know, if you do, if you do certain motions, you're building those motions or that strength in, you know, into your body. Like you do push-ups, like which yeah. seems like a simple thing, but they're not very simple. You know, it's, mm. it's, um, you know, you're you're building, you're creating something, and then it's creation on multiple levels. So you have something like. Um, uh, you know, sistema or, you know, fighting, not, not sport fighting, but any kind of combat, right. It, hmm. it, there's so many different um, things that could happen. There's so many different paths. There's so many different, you know, uncontrolled situations that you have to respond to in a multiple multiplicity of different ways. So you yeah. could, and as someone, uh, I, there's a literature on uh, talent and talent development. And there's a couple of books. One's called, um, Oh, I can't remember, but there's surveys of it. But uh, one might be called the Talent Code, actually. Um, that's one. Talent is overrated as well. Talent yeah. is overrated. Yeah, there's yeah, the cool. two books mm. that came out at the same time. Yeah. And one of the things that they did is they drew a distinction between linear skills and nonlinear skills. So learning to play the violin is a skill mm. that music, of course, is very creative. But there's a step by step way that you learn to play the violin to be a world-class violinist. And if you skip any of those steps, you put them in the wrong order, you don't have the thing. Mm. Technically, you're not a great violinist. There's, there's a path. Mm. Writing a novel, right? Mm. There's, no, there's no path. You have to learn. You have to create the discipline within yourself to write a book. Mm. And you have to learn how you put the different parts of a novel together is this making sense like it, it, it is yeah it could be dialogue it could be a scene it could be a, yeah it's so, so, so complicated but let's get let's get into that a little bit because so you've you've drawn one analogy there and the, um in both these things you're trying to build something right you're building a series of attributes within yourself and that's the start of the creative process you can't start a, from scratch in very in a very complex domain right yeah yeah in many in ways things. to solve a problem you, you can't just put pen to paper with with never having read a novel and then write the next great novel right you know and you can't just go out and fight somebody and, and derive the world's greatest martial arts techniques in a new style typically right that's i know there's the creation myth of lots of martial arts goes that way like a guy was just fighting people and then he figured out that cranes whip people in the face and then he came up with white crane kung fu but probably not probably there's a lot more trial and error and looking at what other people are doing and kind of like improvising on themes and 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 you're very good at breaking down so this is interesting because i think you're excellent at breaking down the structure of things you have a whole series on your podcast about how it's written right and mm -hmm. and you're a big advocate of understanding things like the internal story versus the external story and um the, the structure, the bones that the story is built around. Mm -hmm. And it, it seems, I, mean, I might be getting this wrong, but it seems to me that you're an advocate of the fact that you have to know kind of what the rules are and how the structure is built before you can afford to break them and play with things like a lot. And that sometimes truly bad novels come from people just not even understanding what they're doing with that structure, right? They're kind of structureless and meandering and not really doing the things that they need to do. Yeah. 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 I mean, you, you, you artistically, definitely you want to, understand the rules. You want to understand what something's for before you break the rules. And I think that, um, or before you have a reason for doing something different. Um, hmm. and I think that we, we've, we've moved away from a, a, maybe a structural interpretation of story or what is this thing trying to do? Not what it, sh what should it be doing? So I'll, hmm. I'll give you, I'll give you another example in terms of martial arts. And I think about this a lot. And I, I think that there probably aren't too many people in the world who are equ really equipped to understand this. Um, but 
I, I'm like you certainly are. People listening to this podcast might, you know, might, there might be the perfect audience. Hmm. So if you take a, a martial art of any kind, you take judo, aikido, sistema, whatever it is, like you've got this, and like it happened with karate, you know, karate, you know, judo, and aikido primarily, right? Hmm. They took this thing that was for killing. Like it was just straight up for killing. And they said, okay, what else can we do with this? How can we make this about the development of an individual? Hmm. And I think it is greatly under, underrated um, the, the accomplishment or the jump in thought that that was, that hmm. I'm going to take this thing and now use it to create people who are of better character and healthier and hmm. more put together, right? Like that's a, so that's, you know, you have the, the external part of what you see is going on. And then you have the internal part hmm. of what's going on with a, with the, um, with the martial art, with the book, with anything, with anything that's an art, I think. So you have it. So every martial art, then every style has its, is external kind of obvious, um, obvious goals and objectives and intents. And it might be, you know, if you're doing a grappling art, it might be we're learning how to control balance and distance and timing and take people to the ground and understand biomechanics. If you're learning a striking art, again, distance and timing, but how to land these things crisply, how to put, how to, you know, distract people, move them around, get them to a place where you can do the work that you need to do. But at the heart of all of these things, whether it's martial art of archery or, you know, kendo or aikido or system or whatever it's going to be. You're saying there's a set of underlying principles, which are actually, that's really what that art is for. If it's a martial art, it's being, it's, it's forging you in some way. And you're just using the techniques and the methodology in order to get at that internal story. Right. Um, yeah. I, and I guess it doesn't have to be like explicit to the martial art, but what is, what is people have all different kinds of reasons for training and all different, mm you know, kind of approaches and it's, it's useful. So maybe that's the other thing about, about creativity and art too, is like, if you, if I, I believe if you write a novel, right, if you mm. do any work of fiction and you do it honestly and you do it well, what, no, regardless of how it turns out, you're going to learn something about yourself that maybe mm. you didn't know before. Mm. And I think that if you enter into training in a martial art, especially something like Sistema where it's, it's very personal, like there's no place yeah. to hide from yourself. No. Um, uh, that you're going to learn stuff about yourself. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that, um, the other thing that I would say is that the, the creativity of play that happens, and, and we've talked about this a bunch and, um, the, the idea that when people look at a martial art or look at certain kinds of training from the outside, hmm. they, oh, that would never work. You know, that would like, they're, they're missing what the drill is for. They're missing the understanding or they're missing that, you know, the, 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 that the fastest way to learn something is to play with it. Right. Sure. Hmm. Um, uh, so if you want to understand wrestling, hmm. the, like it's indispensable just to go wrestle. If you want to understand striking, it's in, indispensable to strike. Um, so how does, how does that relate back to what you said about linear and nonlinear arts? Cause I can see, so that clearly the best way to learn to play the violin is not just to fiddle with it. Uh, see what I did there, but you know, it's just to play around with it until you figure out how to make good notes. It's you, as you said, there's, there's a methodology for learning the violin and it's, it's good if you follow that. And if you want to be a concert level violinist, right. Um, then probably you want to follow that. But if you're being a writer or an artist, it's a bit less linear and where do, just do maybe some martial arts fall on different sides of that line that if you want to be a really good boxer maybe you should follow this you know this but look this, at all the different um, styles look at all yeah. the different styles of boxing um yeah 
you know, the different, um, even the styles of defense, man. I went, I, when I lived in Los Angeles, the one place that um, I knew a guy and it was the cheap place to work out was the, it was a boxing gym in Los Angeles. Yeah. And we'd go and work out and he taught me just a smattering of Muay Thai by kicking me. Yeah. Um, like I said, beat up in many languages, yeah. but I would watch people and their styles were so wildly different, even in mm. defense. I remember watching one guy going, that's just amazing. Mm. Um, so I, I think that there, if you want to learn how to do uh, if you want to learn how to be a composer, you have to look at a bunch of ways that music is composed hmm. and then start to figure out those rules and start to figure out, you have to figure out a form that you're working with and then figure out hmm. how to put all that together. If that, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, and then there, like, if you want to figure out how to, um, you know, how to, how to, how to fight. Right. Mm. There are many different strategies and ways and movements. And depending on the environment, there's no one right solution. Sure. Um, if you're going to, you're going to teach a really tall person to do hip throws, mm. maybe not, you know, mm. um, or is that going to be their, their thing? That's kind of, that's kind of what I'm saying there. Did I, that answer your question or am I just, am I yeah, no, it, it did. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm just interested in this sometimes because there's always this dynamic tension between play and and structured learning right and it's it's kind of like an ongoing argument even within the systemic community for the time that i've been training you know that some people have deviated some instructors and schools of systema have have deviated strongly towards kind of stratified hierarchical structured learning saying this is the system in the te- in the sense that here's a curriculum of things that you do right you learn to fold you learn to roll you learn how to throw punches like this you learn how to do this knife disarm blah 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 blah. you learn these biomechanics you learn these things and then you can work on breathing as a separate thing um and then the play aspect is just the sparring right and and that's to a large extent how a lot of martial arts are taught they're like here's the structure here's the everything you need to know by sixth Q or red yeah. belt or like, you know, a couple of years into jujitsu, whatever it is, you have a curriculum for what you're, what you're expected to learn. And then you put that to the test by rolling with people, sparring with people, that kind of thing. Um, so it's like, we study it here, then you play. Um, but it seems to me, in, in, at least in the style of Systema that we've mostly practiced in Briabko mm-hmm. Vasiliev Systema, it's almost the other way around. It's like, it's the play is the larger aspect, right? Um, you are studying things, but it's, it's all through, the the medium of of feel and experimentation and trying to kind of derive the patterns you ha- you have somebody who's guiding you and saying you might want to think about keeping this feeling or this structure or blah 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 but it's it's not linear is it it's not like well, we take people and, and force them to do one thing when they're beginners and then the the next class they're they're on this basic level basic level and they do the thing they're th- kind of thrown into the deep end and beginners and advanced students train everything all at the same time you know, you don't have a beginner's class or like people get separated out because they're white belts and systemic are forced to do only specific types of responses. It's mm-hmm. uh, everybody's playing, but on a different level, you know? So I think that's really interesting. The, the balance between those two things. I'm tempted to give a Martin answer here and stall for time and just say, yeah, profound. No, <laughs> no also I, half I, your I, volume. Also, that will be more. Yeah. Um, uh, boy, I sure hope that, Joke doesn't upset him. You'll <laughs> <laughs> be seeing me in October, probably. So yeah, yeah. he can um, get you for it in October. Uh, no, I think that. Um, do you know, so do you know what I'm getting at, Marman? Yeah. So, so there's yeah. two things. I think it's a scale problem, right? So, hmm. um, y- you have a, a a large group. You've got a lot of people showing up to classes. You know, sometimes or people teach very large groups. Hmm. So 
the group here, you know, that, that I train with, um, a little suspended due to COVID, but it's smaller. So I really only have to think about, okay, what's the thing I'm looking at this person. And based on what I know, what's the thing that maybe they should work on, or where's the thing that we should work on or Mm. in my own training, like, what did I just mess up or where did I lock up and how do I Mm. figure out some way that we can work on that little bit? Where's that little hitch, you know? Um, but if you have, if you have a lot of people, it, it makes more sense to give them structure because you do want everybody I'm to roll. I mean, I'm very passionate mm-hmm. about rolling and falling because of all the training I've had that has saved me more, you know, the broken bones, yeah. trips to the ER, um, yeah. you know, that, that, that's money in the bank, being able to mm-hmm. go to the ground without hurting yourself. Um, yeah. and one of the things that I say sometimes is if you want to be serious about self-defense, you, you first need to defend yourself against gravity because statistically, this yeah. is what's going to happen. You're going to get yeah. old. You're going to fall yeah. down. You're going to break a hip and you're going to die of pneumonia. Pneumonia yeah. is trying to, pneumonia and gravity are trying to jump you in an alley. Right. Um, yeah. Guarantee. Yeah. Gravity, the unspoken killer. It gets yeah, people yeah. all the time and not just parachutists. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, there's something. So, so yeah. you do need to have some kind of conceptual structure. And I also wonder sometimes knowing like what we know and some of the things that I had to unlearn and the way people move when they just come in. Yeah. Like part of it might be that we don't use our bodies like people used to a hundred, 150 years ago. Right. Sure. Yeah. Part of it also, I think is people have watched fight scenes, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the famous thing in, in pistol training where you put one dud round in there. So that, you know, the guys mm-hmm. fire in the gun, bang, bang, and then it clicks, but he still pulls the gun up. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Like we have this expectation of the big, you know, Marvel superhero mm. punch kind of thing that seems mm. like it's, you know, so I, like, I wonder, like, like that conceptual structure, wh- mm. a lot of what I learned from Sistema was, I mean, I knew a lot of techniques, but mm. the way that I was trying to do those techniques and the way that I thought they worked yeah, or even the idea of technique, like it was, it was just, I didn't understand. It was another level of understanding for me. So there's, so there's something. So, so often when we get it wrong in Sistema, and this is probably going deeper into this specific issue than I want to go this early in, but um, often when people get it wrong, it's because they have an image in their mind of what like a, a wrestling move or a punch should look like. And they have an objective in mind and they're trying to do that thing. And that actually is getting in the way of them doing something cleanly, like pushing, punching somebody cleanly or, or, you know, of closing the distance and actually holding somebody that they advertise their intent a mile off and then people Mm -hmm. see it. Is there an, is there a color corollary in that uh, with writing in that where people kind of see the objective? You've talked a bit before about different types of writers who have like a, a seat of the pants kind of way of doing it, like George Martin or something. Like they yeah. have characters and they put them in situations and they're like, let's see what they do. And they can write brilliantly for ages, but they tend to be terrible at ending things, right? Because they're because they didn't know where it was going to go sometimes. Or you have the derivative kind of Dan Brown. I know where this wants to go at the end and I'm just going to write everything toward the end, you know, kind of that way. Is, is, is there a, is there a similar well, trap that, in creativity in, in writing where yeah, if you think I, too hard about where you want to go, that you can, you can get in your own way and make it too, too, I don't know, um, too derived or too, I think too I know what you're saying. Too predictable. I, I, yeah. I wouldn't say that the outline, like the, uh, the pantser versus plotter thing. One mm. of the, one of the problems is so a story, especially like a thriller, right? You need mm. a big ending. Mm. So one of, one of the things that you learn the hard way is man, before I start this thing, maybe I should have some idea of what a cool ending would be. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. It can change along the way, but you know, but, yeah. um, the, uh, 
But we've also all seen the Michael Bay movies where it's just essentially set piece to set piece to set, set piece, piece to set. And they've just written it and there's no, <laughs> there's nothing else going on. They're just idiots from running from one place to another so they can yeah, blow something up in, one big, in Taiwan. You know? so, yeah. um, <laughs> like um, uh, Christopher Nolan does that a little bit too. And I think it's much, much better than Michael Bay. But, you know, it's like, oh, oh, here comes this. The short scene, short scene, short scene, short scene. Boom! This is the scene he wanted to film. He yeah. got a truck to flip over front ways, you know. And you, and you know he did it because he brings in the big bass bars. So we'll use that in the trailer. That'll be amazing. Forever, forever changing movie soundtracks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a used device right there. Yeah. But um, but I think with 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 writing with 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 any kind of art, right? Because it's funny, because I was just reading something that I wrote, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. Hmm. It was this little novella called Unkillable, and it was it's a it's an interesting idea, and it didn't really... Um, I, I always think about going back to it, because I think there's a couple of things in there that are really well-written, but I just overwrote the shit out of that thing. Hmm. Like, I was just trying too hard to be too stylish with parts of it, hmm. and it there's it's just too much, right? It's just... Hmm. Um, so I think that maybe that's the, um, it's the same kind of thing, right? Or I'm going to take a guitar solo and I've seen someone who's taken a guitar solo. That's a million notes. So yeah. I got to try and cram a million notes in there mm. where I think the real thing, and there's another, another great thing for Sistema is like, I never felt like Sistema was trying to put me into somebody else's form. Yeah. You know, I have to learn these things. It was here's, let's figure out what you're like. You get to know yourself so you can figure out how to use yourself to, to, you know, to do this. Um, yeah. And, and do it simply and cleanly. Yeah. But, mm. Right. But that's the thing, like every art, what was it? Uh, Picasso. I think it was Picasso who said, uh, the genius is the one who's most like himself. Hmm. Right. And that's a totally yeah. different approach, right? Let's yeah. figure out what you're like and what you can, um, what you're going to be really good at being. Um, so, so there's a, there's a parallel there then between like the writer who has a voice, you know, like they, they sound like they're not trying to sound like somebody else. Like you almost forget the writer is there because the, the voice is so natural, you know, that they kind of retreat into the background want. and that's what you want. And actually it's the same, isn't it? With systemos, mm -hmm. like if you, if you're doing things right, they kind of forget you're there and they forget that you're trying to fight them because you're not, everything's just kind of playing out. Um, and you your your physical presence becomes like a natural voice that slips into the background that enables you to control people without them realizing quite what it is that you're doing. Whereas if you're obvious and you're shouting at them with an obvious somebody else's borrowed voice, you know, then yeah, they what, physically you, they retreat from it or they tense up. And you're you're trying to do what's what's going to work for you in mm. that moment on that day with whatever you showed up with. Like I, I hurt mm. my arm, um, I I uh, strained my bicep really good and i really couldn't use my right arm very well i could still train like hmm. i just did other things you know it's, yeah. i think that's another thing that is not um you don't emphasize too much about uh systema but it's the creativity of okay if this limb is not working the way it hmm. i can do other things i can move in other ways and that was systema was the first martial art or anything that you know i showed up and jacobs had sent had this roll of duct tape he's like okay tape up one of your hands or your yeah. arm whatever you want to do and then we'll just do good. class and yeah it's so good yeah um, you just give me an idea for my class this evening i've done that one for a while so that's my class plan for this evening everybody duct tape <laughs> it's gonna be ground movement with your arms taped to your body now yeah or yeah tape, yeah 
Yeah. And, and, and it's great. I mean, it's miserable yeah. sometimes, but it's great. You learn so much. I mean, I think that's the, the source of the, um, the idea that every injury yeah. teaches you something because it yeah. just brings so much awareness to that part of the body. But Raul uh, Sanchez Garcia, who's in um, in Sistema, Sistema, I think Madrid, he's out that way, um, had him on the podcast. He's a physiologist as well as a Sistema practitioner. And he talked about Sistema as a unique methodology for constraints-based learning, that um, we limit things on purpose mm-hmm. to force you to be creative in other ways. Right? If you don't have the use of both hands and your feet, then you can't use distance timing and jabs the way that you would if you're a boxer. You have to figure out what else you can do. And that makes you more creative. And we're constantly doing that. It's We're constantly putting additional limitations on ourselves in order to force ourselves to break out of this cast, this mold that yeah, normally we yeah. put ourselves in with our own tension. And, and I remember um, one of those things for me in system was using the elbows, touching whatever's coming at you with the elbow, you know, not hitting mm. it, but just using, because that forced me to really start to use my shoulders. And all of a sudden mm. my arms became much freer when we went to, now you can sure. use your hands again. And yeah, there's just things like that, that rewire, um, yeah. Also gets you closer. Yeah. Also means that you have to have better footwork because you can't yeah. just reach out and touch people. You have to get yourself in the right place to use your elbows. So, and your, yeah. yeah, your feet are in the right place so that yeah. you can. Yeah, it's yeah. So you're just closer. Um, but what, what about what about barriers to creativity? Because this is an inter- this is an interesting one. I think that in Sistema we spend a lot of time acknowledging and working with our fear or our frustration or fear our is, anger. Fear is the, the barrier our, to creativity. Yeah, or our pride, and and so we know that when we have fear that we can't actually see what's going on. Like our, our ability to observe and orient ourselves to the situation just gets narrowed like this, right? We all know the the red mist blinders when we're angry or, oh, yeah. or afraid. You can only kind of see one thing and we get kind of target locked. And it shuts down your options quicker than your opponent ever could, right? Quicker than somebody, a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu could shut you down. Your own fear will shut you down and make you stupid, right? Make you yep. just slam at things or retreat or do whatever you're going to do. So we spend a lot of time experiencing fear and these emotions on purpose, processing them, looking at them from different angles in order to stay creative, essentially, under pressure. Is there, does the same hold true in writing? Can can fear kill creativity in writing and creating as well in, in, in non-fighty art forms? Absolutely. All, all kinds of, all kinds of fear and emotion. And if you worry about that kind of thing. So it was, uh, I'll, I'll give you another analogy. Hmm. Um, uh, Christy was, was doing quite a lot of pottery and she'd hmm. never done anything like that before. And she talked about how calm it made her. Hmm. And I said, the reason it makes you calm is it's the same reason I do Sistema, right? Is that you've got an instant feedback loop. You can see your internal state. I mean, it takes a little while to get there and it's this other guy's fault. He's not cooperating. It takes a while to get there in Sistema, but probably with pottery too. But if you're not relaxed and everything's not working right, you immediately see it in the pot you're trying to throw. Hmm. So you get a feedback mechanism to calm yourself down. Yeah. Um, An immediate one too. Yeah. Yes. Really short feedback loop for Hmm what's my internal state like, which I think Mm. is, you know, um, and if you think about, you know, singing, you Mm. can immediately hear when fear and tension comes. Like you think you got to hit a high note or you got to strain, like, and all of a sudden you can hear your voice change. Like you've got that feedback. Um, how's that work with writing though? Cause the feedback in my experience, I've written books, right. And the, the feedback loop is so long. You don't know until it's published or at least until somebody looks at the last draft what people really feel about it. And so you can sit there while you're writing it, just thinking this is shit. And, and that can get in the way and that can sculpt the way that you're going to do the story. Well, you know. the, the, the crazy thing is that that feeling of this is shit. I'm sure you've had this experience. 
uh, you know, you're writing it. You're like, this is shit. And then you come back to it. You're like, this isn't bad at all. What the hell was I thinking? <laughs> like it's usually at the end when you haven't got any other choice, when you can't edit it anymore and it's gone and you're like, oh, that actually wasn't bad. But while there's the potential what, to edit, you're always like, this was shit. It's like- <laughs> the, the emotional challenges of writing. Like when I did the, um, the first iteration of the good words, write it order stuff, I went to the, there's a book called the Oxford handbook of uh, elite performance. And I read the section on writing in there, and I can't remember all the breakdown. I have it somewhere in my notes, but they were talking about what what writing takes. It takes um, subject matter expertise. It takes general knowledge. It takes um, you know uh, knowledge of language, diction, you know that you mm. know that kind of stuff, word choice, all those things. And then the last one, and nobody ever talks about this, but it was the emotional challenges of writing, mm. and it's it's fear like. It's fear like you get afraid of hitting a golf ball. Hmm. The golf ball stays there. Hmm. You've got the words on the page. You've got the cursor. You've got all the time in the world. So what's going on in your head hmm. messes you up. I mean, you've written, you've written a lot of books. Has this been your experience? It's been my exact experience. Yeah, every single time. It's a, And there's some days, just like with martial arts, you feel like you achieve some sort of flow state and you feel like everything comes easy and words just appear on the page uh, unbidden and you didn't have to think a lot about them. And other days you just have to wring it out like blood from a stone. And then, and you just think, wow, what a waste of time. Why don't I just write on the days when I feel good? Cause I just literally get 20 times more done on the days when I feel like writing. But unfortunately, if you're a professional, you don't get to make that choice. You have to create yeah. the conditions and the same thing in a fight. You don't get to fight exactly when you want to, and when you feel good and when you've had a stretch and a warm up. you know, sometimes you have to fight when it's when you least feel like it, when you, you know, you need to take a shit and you've, <laughs> you've had 12 After, beers. <laughs> yeah. Or you, 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 you've hurt your arm or you've, um, yeah. you know, I, I remember a couple of times, like I was training a lot, this is long before Sistema, but I had, um, both my hands were injured hmm. and I I'd, I'd felt like, and this is probably just ego, but I felt like I was pretty capable at that hmm. point. And then when my hands went away, I felt like I wasn't capable at all. Hmm. And it was a really good, uh, learning, um, learning to be a teacher because I'm like, sure. wow, this is what somebody maybe feels like who comes in, who hasn't like, you know, and I grew up rough and tumble and, you know, really yeah. always liking wrestling and stuff and playing around. Um, but people come with different from different places and different fears and different, you know, yeah. and that was a really good thing. Yeah. That can be really good. That can be really good sometimes not getting injured specifically, but like being forced to do something, that you're not good at for a while and and to be forced to remember what it feels like especially if you're a teacher and instructor for people coming in like i over during covid my son decided he wanted to learn how to skateboard so i bought a skateboard with him you know and i don't know how to skateboard never did it as a kid it wasn't a big deal in england growing up so i had to learn how to do it so i'm trying to systematize this whole experience like what do i need here i need balance i need this i need core dexterity i need to be able to stand on it and not fall off let's do that first and now i need to be able to scoot with it with one foot so i need to be able to stand on one leg and use it like a roller skate without falling off that's a prerequisite and in my head i'm like and then i'm going and then i'm like now i need to be able to stop it okay that's a lot harder than i thought when you kick the front of the board up like in the movies it doesn't just stay there you fly off the back because it runs up this way and hit the ground a few times before i figured that one out um and then you need to be able to turn it and turning creates its own kind of dynamics and things that that work in different ways 
And but after a while, it didn't take long. You know, I got uh, maybe a week or two in. I could ride the thing down hills, and I could like turn steer around drain covers. And when it went too fast, I just jumped off and ran at high speed yeah. <laughs> rather than trying to stop it like that way. And I kind of figured out how to do a few things. But then it occurred to me one day that I'm spending all my time in one orientation with my left foot forwards and my right foot behind. And one leg was getting kind of beefy from doing kind of all, all the pumping and working, you know, and, and the other one was just kind of steering a lot and taking a lot of pressure. And I'm like, this was really like Sistema. I should be able to do this both ways. I should be able to goofy foot it here and go both ways. So I tried. I got onto the board on one side and kicked off the other board and <laughs> straight down on my back. And it was like I'd started to skateboard again. There was almost no skill acquired from the previous two weeks that helped me. Now, once I went through the same method, it balanced out a bit. And now I don't suck quite that bad on that side, but I definitely still have a preferential side. And most skateboarders do. Most skateboarders won't flip, right? They'll, yeah. they'll keep it the same way. And they'll even ride backwards down it for a little bit and then turn. But from my point of view, it was really interesting to go to the left side, start to do it, and then be like, wow. I am terrible now. This is it, there's there is no ambidextrousness going on in my feet. I'm I'm fairly ambidextrous in my hands, right? I can switch a sword from one hand to the other and it feels yeah, pretty yeah. good. Not exactly the same. And with other things too, you know, e either hand or wherever it's gonna be. But apparently I'm not with my hips down structure. I was very much like uh, one way, and that was really enlightening. And then it gave me more compassion for Sean who's like, doesn't have as much dexterity. You know, he's a lot more cautious. He's getting scared and jumping off at lower speeds. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing that when I'm left footed, you know? So like, so I spent more time left footed so I could feel more like the speed that he was learning at. And it really helped me. Um, and maybe that's a good thing for us, you know, to make us also, again, not just to increase your creativity and how you're going to learn things, but just to kind of build that little bit of solidarity and compassion with, with the people that we're teaching and learning with. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, your, your expertise is, um, well, I, I, novels tie it back to that too. Yeah. Nobody like, nobody feels, especially with fiction, nobody feels like they know what they're doing. I've talked to very successful authors and, and yeah. like, I've heard things like, yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing until I'm 20,000 words in. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and that's, you know, depending on the pace at which you write, that's a month of work. Hmm maybe more as you know, more depending on outlining and like, I, I have no idea if it's any good. And people who, and you've, I think if you attempt something really difficult, hmm. um, no matter what it is, you feel like a fraud at the beginning. Like you feel like you're just, and there, then, it, is, but that's, there it is again with martial arts, the same thing, right? Yep. You start training Sistema and you're like, I just want to be able to kick somebody's ass. And for a while, all they're showing, all I'm showing you is your mistakes and your limitations and the ways in which you can't do things. And if you give up on that, too early if you if you don't put in that proverbial twenty thousand words before you start to try and assess yourself, then you might give up before you even get a chance to create well, something really good. There's also the 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 rising tide thing. Like I remember when I did um, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in Los Angeles, um, mm. and it was there were really good. I trained with the Machado uh, Hegan Machado a little bit in his yeah. school, and then I moved to another school because I moved to the other side of Los Angeles, just going to get back there. And it was also very, very good. Mm. And I just felt like I was learning nothing, like nothing. It's because everybody around me was getting better. Mm. And you know, I'd been training, I don't know, five, eight years at this point in a smattering of different things. And I could do just nothing on the ground. Like it was terrible. Mm. Um, I remember I got so frustrated. Uh, I, this guy's got me in the mountain. I'm just I'm pointlessly headbutting him in the chest. And he just looks down at me. Very nice. 
in the way that people don't like if you don't do martial arts you can't understand like the kindness and the mix mixture of what things people would see as violence he just looks down at me he goes you know you really should try and do the techniques they teach here (laughs) (laughs) anyway one day this huge guy comes in and he's a new guy and and the guy's class it was he's like you you know when we because we did you know about 30 minutes of training and then everybody just rolled for 30 minutes Mm. and he goes uh Oh, the guy's name was Marcus. He goes, you, you, you know, roll with him. And I'm like, oh shit, now I'm going to get my ass kicked by the guy who just walked in the door. And I just, he couldn't do anything to me. I just, hmm. he didn't move well on the ground. He was a big guy. He didn't have any training. And I just crawled all over him like a spider monkey. And I was yeah. like, wow. So yeah. you, you lose sight of your, when you're learning an art, if you're in a pack full of people, you lose sight of your ability to do stuff. Yeah, that's interesting. A lot of people have reported that in my group as well, that they don't realize how far they've come. And then a new person starts and they're like, this was great, not because I want to feel superior to somebody, but just to give them that benchmark that they don't get any other way. They're like, oh, if somebody new does come in. But interesting, I think in some ways, groundwork might be a bit of a special case in that because it just seems like if you don't know how to move on the ground at all, it's very, very easy with with not very much skill and training to dominate somebody who has no idea how to move on the ground, whereas most people know how to stand up and shove people away or wrestle in some fundamental way. So I think there's less of a gap between untrained beginners and other people when you're standing up and wrestling than there is on the ground. Like people just genuinely feel out of their depth on the ground. And, you know, Hoist Gracie proved this in the first UFC. It's like, yeah. it was just him doing jujitsu against a whole bunch of people who had no idea what to do once they were on their backs and somebody was sitting on them. None, you know, like yeah. apart from a couple of judo guys who didn't quite have the chops to finish the groundwork and things you know but um but then within a couple of seasons everybody'd be like oh, i'm gonna do some basic jujitsu and then all of a sudden it was over like the dominance of jujitsu was was yeah. not quite not there anymore and it's it, it takes a bit but there's definitely yeah the more unfamiliar the movement or the environment somebody is in the bigger the gap you'll see between somebody trained and not trained i think yeah because we had um and i had this i had the same experience in there because it was uh one of the you know one of the guys that they said, okay, we're just on the ground, on the ground, on the ground. And one day they said, stand up. Mm-hmm. And there was one guy who was, he wasn't, he wasn't really a jerk, but he was, he was sometimes a bit difficult. And honestly, those people are the best training partners, but he sure. stood up and I threw him in a Nuchimata. I mean, just right off the bat, I just threw him. Yeah. And as he was going over, he had this look on his face, like, you can't do this to me. I'm a blue belt. <laughs> and then we hit the ground and he choked me out. But for a split yeah. second there, yeah, <laughs> felt really good about myself. No, so for um, the benefit of people who didn't do judo or don't speak Japanese, Uchimata is a hip throw in which you use a straight leg up into somebody's groin and flip them kind of over your hip and forwards. Right? Is that fair to describe it? Yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, yeah. And I'm not even saying it was a good Uchimata. It was just it was, <laughs> what it was good enough. To... It was good enough, evidently. It was. It, was, it, was uh, it worked then, but um, yeah. Nice. But yeah, I think that um, you know the the other thing from about creativity. Well, it's really the acquisition of a skill, right? You can think about creativity and I think about creativity in a very hard headed kind of way, right? Hmm. You're acquiring a skill, you're practicing, hmm. you're, you're perfecting a craft. Cause the question isn't, you know, Oh, I'm so creative. I, I wear silks and dye my hair and do morning journaling. No, no, no. That's, that's like, what you want to do is like, you're, you're, you're trying to solve a problem. Like I'm trying to solve a problem, writing a book. I'm trying to solve a problem. Like that's the other nice thing about the method of training and system. Each grab is sort of a different problem. Each position is mm. a different, you're learning ways to solve the problem. Right. Mm. But you have to be getting, getting better and improving. And the thing that I was a pro at in martial arts long before I was a pro at with writing mm. is being very, um, comfortable 
just working on something hmm. and not making, not seeming to make a lot of product, like the plateau. Yeah. You know what I mean? In, in terms of N- not being overly focused on the outcome, just being like, I'm just working here. So I'm, yeah. I'm working on it. And I yeah. know maybe, you know, and you have those in anything you have those, Oh, I got really better. I got much, yeah. much better. And then, and then you're, you're plateauing. And, and I think mm. there's something probably with the culture of say writing, writing books or, you know, selling your creative product is that nobody really wants to talk about, um, or they don't talk about, man, that one's so much better. I've learned so much since then, but mm. if you're not learning a lot while you're doing it, why are you still doing it? Like, I, I, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, maybe, yeah. you know, you have to do stuff and, um, I think that might be the the part about creativity, right? That 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 learning is a fundamental part of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess if you if you have to do something just to put some food in the table, or you know, pay the pay off debts or something, then that ties it back to fear, right? You're you're writing, you're doing a job essentially out of the fear that you won't have money otherwise, or you won't do those kinds of things. And in that kind of constraint, it's difficult to be creative, right? Because you're doing just what's necessary to get the job done. Like yeah. in the short term, or, rather than kind of feeling it, it's a lot easier to be in some ways an experimental creative writer if you've got like uh, a day job to fall back on or you're not broke and, you know, starving um, than it is to be, you know, a genuinely starving artist who's having a hard time with it. And maybe sometimes that can also force some creativity. Like, I'd, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm drawing deadlines. from my misery and my experiences and things like that as well. I mean, there's de- but see, there's another interesting thing. There's, there's that kind of that cliche of the uh, the tortured artist right that in order to be good and creative at an art you have to have just just wallow in your emotions and your depression and your your angst and that's what really makes good art from cobain to hendrix to hemingway you know you have to be genuinely miserable in order to create something like genuinely um extraordinary right there's that whole, like, and i've never really bought into that 100 nope, i'm like for every, every one of those that you can point at you could probably at least point to at least one other person who was quite happy and was a creative for their entire life and created incredible works and loved what they did and maybe even two of those for every miserable bastard you know, so, so <laughs> here, here here's one i think about a lot and mm. because maybe i should have gone into insurance um no <laughs> uh, so <laughs> if you want to pick uh the greatest American poet of the 20th century. Um, I don't know. You've got uh, Wallace Stevens is on the list and very close to the top. Mm-hmm. He's an amazing poet. And he was the vice president of an insurance company. He was the vice president of a Hartford insurance company. Wow. And he would go to work and he would insurance, insurance, insurance. And on mm-hmm. the train going in, on the train going back, he would write poems and then he'd write poems on the weekend. And he was very mm-hmm. highly regarded and just like, but had what is the least, possibly the least artistic job imaginable mm-hmm. of, you know, a vice president of an insurance company in the, what, 40s and 50s or third. Like, mm-hmm. um, so that, that idea that you, and for me, I think that serious artists don't tolerate chaos in their life because mm. they want to, they want to do, they want to be, have the stability to do the work. Yeah. Um, and I, I, the other thing that I did make a note about or think about when we were talking about having this conversation is there are um, emotional swings. There are difficulties with creating anything. Mm. And my feeling is that what, it, there are some people who think that like MFA programs are a training ground for someone being a, being a writer or being a creative person. And I don't see 
it, maybe if you want to do literary fiction, but I don't see a lot of evidence for that being a correspondence of being great output to going to an MFA program. Some people okay. that's, that's certainly there. And I, and I don't want to uh, discount that experience, hmm. but the thing is that, um, and many people have talked about this. Neil Gaiman talked about it in a commencement address. He said, it's, it's really good to be a writer in the real world for money on deadline. Hmm. Um, because it forces you to write and it teaches you discipline and, and, you know, it, it makes you tough, like deadlines help. Um, mm. But there's a resilience that's kind of, that I think you need to be, just like, just like we, we build resilience and, and the ability mm. to deal with emotional swings and pay attention, you know, to difficulty deal. Grit is one way that people say that, mm. that you really need to have, if you're going to be seriously involved in doing something as hard, like, th- like, think about this. I mean, you, you write books, I write books. Hmm. You walk in a bookstore, there's a used bookstore, um, not too far from my house. And I walk through there and it's gigantic hmm. and it's filled with books. Hmm. Who the hell are we to put another book on those shelves? Hmm. And you put another book on that shelf. Hmm. It's got to compete with the best books ever written. Like, yeah. Yeah man, like that's just, that, that can cause emotional swings and you've got to be able to, mm. to even that out and deal with it. Mm. Or, or like, um, you know, you've written an entire draft of a book, like put in six months to a year's worth of work. Mm. And then you see a problem with it and you don't know how to fix it. Mm. I mean, that's a, that's a huge, you've invested so much of yourself and yeah. then, you know, it's or, like, it's or it just gets rejected the... out, or it gets rejected outright. You know, with 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 not much of a of a helpful comment from a publisher or something. I believe Stephen King went through that about fifty times, right, before he got his first novel published. Yeah, or and mm. and for everybody who's really everybody's really successful, I, I think there's one of these stories. The one that comes to top of mind right now is uh, Quentin Tarantino. Mm. He was working at a video store. And he was watching all these old movies. He wrote a script. He scraped together a whole bunch of money or all he could to make this movie, get it shot, get it in the can. So it was, um, I believe, the er- the earlier version of what became True Romance. Okay. He sends it to the transfer house, which is he sends the film to be, you know, to be transferred, to be printed, to get the film done. And it's on cellulite, right? You know, hmm. the film house burns down and three years of his life just goes up in flames. Just oh, man. gone. Yeah. And he made another film. Hmm. <laughs> like that, that, that's mental toughness, right? Yeah, I had, a, I had one experience like that. I wrote a book and literally I was two thirds of the way through the book, which was about, I don't know, 50, 60,000 words, something like that, right? So it's substantial. It's a, it a fair chunk, like not a tome. But um, two thirds of the way through, my laptop died, the hard drive died. And oh. so did simultaneously the backup hard drive thing. This was before the cloud and all that kind of stuff. Yep. It was a lightning strike that just took out the whole system, you know, overloaded oh, everything. And I remember taking it into the hard drive thing into Best Buy and the Geek Squad or something over here. I'm like, hey, man, can you salvage anything from this work? Your techie magic. I've seen it in the movies. Can you, like, <laughs> salvage something? And he just, like, looks through it. And he, goes, and he goes, oh, man, yeah, it'll be fine. There'll be something on the hard drive. You know, one of these things will be fine. And he brings the laptop back. He goes, that's right. No way. And he goes and gets the hard drive and he comes 
back and he goes, whoa, he's like, what are the odds? I've never seen this before. Like both of these things are just toast, man. It sucks to be you. Hope there's nothing big on this. And <laughs> I've spent, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was all of my sister training not to murder the guy in cold blood, like in the middle of Best Buy, you know, um, oh, yeah. because it was a, and I was like, I couldn't just, but the despair of having to go back to the beginning again, I had no backups other than what was on those two drives and having to start writing the same thing again. And I'm like, this is just drudgery and it's terrible. And it was for a bit for the first couple of weeks. And then, you know what? I wrote a pretty good book off the back of it because I felt like I realized that the, this is shit moments that I had writing the book the first time mm-hmm. didn't, I'm like, I got a second shot of this. I, I've got no excuse. Now I can fix this. This was like a second edit, a second edit, a second draft right away. And when I submitted it, I felt good about it. And that was one of the only books where I've submitted. And I've been like, I couldn't have done that any better. Cause I wrote that twice <laughs> instead of like, I wrote and then tweaked it. I'm like the second time I actually did it the way I wanted to. And it, and it worked out fine. So, but it did build that in me. I'm like, I wouldn't want to go through it again, but it made me, First of all, use cloud storage in order to make sure that things don't go wrong that way again. Yeah. And then second, be like, you know, if I had to do that, then I could. I could create on demand if I had to, like, again. Um, Stephen Pressfield uh, has this has this ritual. Um, when he writes, he's, he wrote um, uh, The Legend of Bagger Vance, The Hot Gates. He's got a new book out. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but his... Uh, the Hot Gates and the Tides of War about the Peloponnesian War. He's a really, really great writer, great historical mm. fiction. Um, and he, he would finish his day's writing, print it out, save it on a separate disc, go and put it in the glove box of his truck. <laughs> like, like religiously, just, I got to do this. To, this is, you know, yeah. for clouds. It yeah, came like an OCD. It's, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's good to be neurotic about that, that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, but, you know, I also... Uh, some of the toughest people, okay, the uh, glass blowers. I, I hung out with some glass blowers for a while, mm-hmm. and you'd watch them, and they're making this beautiful thing out of molten glass and using the furnace. They work on it for you know like an hour, maybe an hour and a half, and they got an assistant turns into this intricate thing. All of a sudden, just breaks off, hits the floor into a million pieces, mm-hmm. and all that work is gone. Mm-hmm. And they were all just like, nah. And they went and got another glob of glass and started working again. Just total. Yeah. They're like, oh, it just happens sometimes, mm-hmm. or um. That's like training for the mind, right? It's almost like those um, sand yeah. mandalas that they make in Buddhism, right? They make those really intricate patterns in sand. And then they immediately, the second they are done, the monks go like that and they scrub it. So they spend you know days making this really incredible mandala. Yeah. And then they go like this on purpose as a training not to get too attached to anything that you that you made or, or built, you know, which are, yeah, so I could see how that could be like an emotional the, training. The toughest, I, I've watched probably... Uh, a minute and a half of figure skating in my entire existence, right? It's not something that I enjoy, but of that minute and a half, I, uh, I was walking through, uh, my wife was watching figure skating, one of the Olympics. And I watched this guy go up for this, you know, triple double flipsy Lindy axle kind of thing mm. comes down. He's like the favorite guy is right in the world. He comes down and he just flat busts mm. slides across the ice and he just got up and did the rest of the routine like nothing. Mm-hmm. He's on yeah. the biggest stage in the world, the biggest yep. performance of his life. And I was like, I have that was mental toughness on another level. He yeah. didn't feel sorry for himself for an, you could see it. He just got up yeah. and went. He didn't feel sorry for himself for an instant. His his sequence hit his real resilience. <laughs> I just yeah, I guess so. But I mean, like, you know, I like my fine, I'll make fun of you know, figure skaters and whatnot. I was like, no, that guy is tough. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So to close, 
advice, things that you've learned, ways to stay to stay creative in the, in the face of of daily life and drudgery and kids or whatever else might be trying to pull at your attention and make you not creative. What what little tips and tricks have you found, maybe within writing, that can help people stay, you know, get over those humps and not get, not be bothered by a plateau. You, you've already mentioned a couple in my in mindset of like not being too focused on the goal and just kind of you know working the problem kind of thing and just and enjoying the process of working the problem you're already good at that it seems some people aren't so maybe they need some work with that what what else have you discovered in your, in your career as a creative and in, in ways to edge yourself into creativity if you feel like you're going flat um i'm a huge fan of the uh, pomodoro technique and mm. when, when Emerson was born and we weren't getting any sleep and we weren't used to getting any sleep, yeah, I would just go in and I would set a timer for 20 minutes. And mm-hmm. my goal is just to focus on just not do anything else, but attempt to write something in those 20 yeah. minutes. And that's really good because that firewall is your attention. That's where mm. most people break down when they try and do that large thing. Um, I think being relaxed um, is the, is, is the most important thing, being comfortable and relaxed. Mm. Um, I know, I remember Manny was talking about elite elite athletes and and the links they go to get make like a cycle to make it perfectly comfortable for them. Sure. Um, just being able to you you it's 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 a thing that I've definitely learned from Systema that's helped my writing. But you're mm-hmm. you're at your best when you're your most relaxed and not anxious. Um, yeah. So maybe take the time to do that before you start training or something, you know, take a little bit of time to transition from work or whatever you've been doing before you go into class, give yourself like a window, like the, where you can relax so that you can do the thing. Yeah. Or what, what the timer does too, is you're, you're, you're transitioning for the first few minutes, maybe mm-hmm. five minutes. And if you can just sit there and endure the suck for like two and a half minutes, mm-hmm. then the ideas will come and the words will start coming. Yeah, but it's that first two and a half minutes that beats people. And I think the uh, the other thing, you know, especially for writing, um, is that when I wrote a, wrote about this, uh, people cheer for the wrong thing. Like if you think about um, a marathon, hmm. the cheering section is at the end of the marathon, hmm. and running the marathon is the easy part. It seems to me comparatively, right? The hard part is training for the marathon. And like, if you've got a full-time job, getting up at four in the morning so you can mm. get the miles in on the run. That's that's where you need the cheering section because that's the hardest mm. thing is getting out of the bed at four o'clock in the morning. And writing uh, a book, uh, especially if there's no, you don't have anybody who's going to buy it necessarily or you don't have a yeah. publisher, you don't have whatever. Like it's that four o'clock in the morning needing a cheering section each time. And you just mm. have to just try and forget about it and just push on because mm. you know, you know, it's like, it's, there's a million reasons not to do it. Mm. So just embrace the suck, do it anyway. And sooner or later the creativity yeah, will come. Em- yeah. em- embrace the suck, like, you know, suffer, mm. suffer well, you know, not, not take, <laughs> not take it too. Suffer with style. Or, or just, you know, pay attention to how much it sucks. Um. Yeah. <laughs> All good advice, man. All good advice. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. Thanks so much for taking the time. This is a this has been a pleasure, and the, it, it went in all kinds of directions. I was hoping it would, and and a few others as well. So it's a, it's always good to have you on. If people want to read your books, where do they find out um, about your stuff? 
Uh, yeah, you find out about it on Amazon. Um, PatrickKeyMcLean.com has uh, has some information. Um, I can recommend so, the podcast too. It's an excellent podcast. It's yeah, so fun. so that's that's officially changed its name to How It's Written. So you can find that on on YouTube, and it's uh, you can find that at PatrickKeyMcLean.com. But it's a Substack. PatrickKeyMcLean.com. It's Substack, and that's yeah. all the stuff about stories. Some about what I'm writing, but taking um, taking stories and writing and breaking it down, kind of not on the sentence level, but also on the story level. And uh, the last yeah. one I did was was Batman. Um, yeah. you know, what, why does this character work? Why is it work? Why has it continued to work for so many years? So, so that's yeah, definitely I've, worth checking out. I've really enjoyed those. So on the personal level, it, whether or not you're a writer or ever plan to kind of write a book or something like that, even just as a reader, it helps with your enjoyment to kind of get the breakdown. It's like getting a play by play is like, what was Lovecraft going for here? And why does this work? And yeah, really why, why the hell is Lovecraft a thing? You know, what's, <laughs> what, what, who stole from him, where the influences come from, you know, and, and yeah. why, how does, what, what is it? how does horror work? And I think the goal is, um, is to help people just enjoy the things they read more. I mean, that would be the yeah goal of that. So yeah. nice. Well, always right, great I'll put those in the show notes in the, yeah. Likewise, mate. Take care of yourself. Hope to see you in person soon. Yes, sir. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Sistema, please visit us online at www.ncsistema.com.